Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In today's episode of Health Theory with Kevin Fitman Cook Curry, we discuss how he used cooking to combat depression, important takeaways from trying different diets, the best strategies for meal prep, and how he helped his family change their entire lives through diet. Hey everybody, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is Kevin Curry. He is an author, a chef, a Harvard grad, and one of the biggest influencers around with his Fit Men Cook apps, books, and social media empire. He took himself from struggling with depression and being overweight to completely turning his life around and helping countless others do the same. And in that journey, he's partnered with or been publicly supported by some of the biggest names on the planet, including Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama. But before we get to that part of your journey, which is crazy, I want to start back at the financial collapse in 2008. I think is a pretty extraordinary beginning to this yeah. incredible story. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I had just graduated from, from grad school and I had this job offer and then everything happened. And then like overnight, just everything went to pieces, like everything. And I stayed up in Boston for a few more months and then had to move back home. I was already pretty depressed. Mm. Um, a lot of that started up in Boston, but I took that back home with me to Texas and had to move back in with my parents. And one of the most humbling things was I had to get it on, on welfare. Um, so I, I went in there and got my food stamps. I didn't feel good about like, where I was. Mm. I didn't feel good uh, about Kevin, but I knew at that point that I had to make a change at the same time. So. What really started out as just like this really big, like unfortunate circumstance it actually was a large part of my journey because I learned how to make better choices on very little. Uh, and, and, and that's part of like the genesis of the Fit Men Cook journey and that I didn't want to pay another trainer all this money to lose weight because I had already done that and then gain the weight right back. And I was in Texas, so I ate soul food and I ate Mexican food all the time. And I was like, I need to find out how to actually have some healthy food that actually tastes good. Mm. So I went over to this half-price bookstore and bought every single book they had there about nutrition and just began to read it and just began to go into the kitchen and cook. Now, the crazy thing about Fitman Cook is right, like, right now, it's this big global community of people and we're all sharing, we're all happy and yeah, life is great. It didn't start out that way. <laughs> it was largely kind of like a side hustle. I wanted to basically crowdsource my diet because my, my thought was if I could share out every single meal that I was eating, people could share back with me and give me free advice. It's a way to, you know, game the system, lose some weight, all that. And what I learned when, as the more and more that I shared my journey is that there are people out there just like me mm. who were disenchanted with these really bland diets and wanted a change. They didn't know how to do that. And so they were looking at me and my journey through food in order to kind of unpack uh, what's not really like a mystery, but it's actually the, the greatest known fact about 
fact about healthy living and that's it all starts in the kitchen. It all starts with your diet. Uh, I, I was spending about three hours a day in the gym, literally. An hour in the morning and two hours in the evening time trying to lose weight and I looked the exact same. But when I got the food piece right, the weight just began to fall off of me. One thing I've heard you talk about that I think is really powerful and is why I wanted to start with the, the collapse is you've said even before you can get to the food part, it starts with the mind. Yeah. And people have got to want it. I think it's fascinating that you've got somebody who's clearly intelligent, who's very hardworking, but also has struggled for quite some time with depression. Mm -hmm. And so you're struggling with depression. You go from I'm a Harvard grad to I'm on food stamps. And like, how did you make sense of that? What were you telling, what was the story you were telling yourself about yourself at that time? And then how do you begin to climb out? At that time, I was desperate for a change. I was grasping at straws. I didn't have anything, so I had to be creative. That's the first thing. Um, also, everything that else that I had tried had failed. And is, are and you talking physically? Physically. Trying to lose weight? Physically. Um, because, again, I was working out three hours a day and not seeing a change mm -hmm. like in my body for a full year. So I was frustrated. On top of that, I was also depressed. So, so like you're not making gains in the gym. You're not looking. You're not looking the way that you want to look in the mirror, and, and also like you're not feeling the best, like mentally. Then all those things kind of just come together. I didn't um, at that point, you know, in full disclosure, I, I did try to end my life um, at that point because my my better judgment um, was not there and I didn't see a way out. And it wasn't until I began to talk through some of my issues um, and, and unpack those things where I could actually find out that, you know what, there, there is hope for me. And the cool thing about healthy eating is that it wasn't just about eating better foods, it was the pleasure that I got from making something. Like I felt good that I actually put this meal together. I remember like my first meal was really crappy. It was like chicken breast with some Mrs. Das seasoning, some brown rice and some canned green beans. But the pleasure that I got, the fact that I did that, like I did this crappy meal and it's still edible, that made me feel good. So I, so I derived a lot of mental benefit just from doing that. So I tell people, you know, it's not just about the food that makes you feel good, but it's about the process as well. Like cooking itself, cooking is therapeutic too. And when I hit my own rock bottom, that's when I knew that I had to go ahead and, and make that change. I can always tell the people who are ready for a change and the people who aren't. The, pe How? the people who are ready for a change um, they are so open and so willing to make a change that they will try things that normally they wouldn't. Case in point, um, this was last year, I convinced my dad to go vegan to address a lot of his health issues. He had a lot of um, you know, inflammation and I knew that a lot of the meat products were causing that. But he was so tired of being tired now. Mm. He was so tired of feeling the way that he was. He was so tired of failing in his diet. He was so tired of the weight gain. He was so tired of the pain. That's something that, you know, that he would not normally do. He said, okay, I'll try it. Yeah, that, that to me is, is the most interesting thing about any journey of health or weight <clears throat> loss. It's seeing where somebody starts, 
seeing that final commitment to wanting to rebuild themselves, being open-minded, mm -hmm. being willing to do things that are hard. And one of the questions that I get asked the most is how do I help my family make a change? Oh. <laughs> and I've got to imagine that you've been asked that a lot and I yeah. know that you went through it with your own family. And I think the punchline of what finally worked for your family is, is so cool. Walk people through that story, how long you were trying to help them, how it got a little combative, and then yeah. like, what was the ultimate resolution? Yes, so when I hit my stride in about 2012, 2013, um, I wanted to help everybody. And I was telling my parents, you gotta start eating this and stop doing that. So they're like, yeah, come and help us. But that's not easy. My parents are black and from the South. So we love our food, we love our flavor. Um, and, and we also love our Southern habits. So that was hard in itself. And we just began to clash all the time behind the scenes, like big time clash. They'd say that they want my help. And I go over there and open up the pantry and there's like Cheez-Its and sugary peanut butter and, and cupcake snacks. And I'm like, I thought we just talked about this. Like we just talked about this. And then all of a sudden that would devolve into this big argument, right? So I, I, I stepped back. I said, you know what, screw it. I stepped back because it was causing a lot of friction within our, within our own relationship. And so I realized at that point that the change that they want, it may not come through me. And which was really hard because I've always felt conflicted about being able to help everybody else out and getting their stories about their parents and eating healthy and changing their lives. And here I am, I can't even get my own family to go and do it. Um, but here's what I was doing without knowing it. When I took a step back, it was, it was good because it allowed them to watch a lot more and they began to follow me in social. And they would read these stories of people eating healthier and changing their lives. So that actually helped out. The second thing my parents love to do is to go out as a family and go and do brunch or something. I didn't want to go to Chili's or some other god-awful place that just warms up the food in the back. So I'm thinking, well, let's go to this true food kitchen. Let's go to this Mediterranean restaurant. Let's go over here. And, I, and, and that was just a selfish thing for me because <laughs> I don't want to eat the food. But what I was doing was I was opening up their eyes to other foods and to other cuisines, to, to fresh foods, something that they didn't you know, really have or like value as much. With our parents, it's really hard. It's really hard. You have to understand that there is, this is a lifetime of different choices and behavior. So it's not going to be changed overnight. And when you're talking about parents too, you've got to remember there is a lot of pride that people derive from being able to take care of their family. So what I said to them was, hey, uh, these Cheez-Its aren't good. You got to stop making all these fried foods, all this fried chicken. You got to stop. What they heard was, what you gave me growing up was not good enough. You just gave me the chills. So that's completely, it was a culture clash. So we're fighting, not knowing that we want the same thing, but they're insulted because I'm saying that what you gave me growing up wasn't good enough. How do you get past that? Um, it, you, you go around it. You don't critique the food. So I stopped critiquing and I showed them like a different way. I showed them the other foods. It's the way that you talk about it, you know? Um, and it's, it's less about not making it seem as if that food is just not good 
for you know for you which it's not but just saying hey I know that you're you know that you have this weight loss goal or you have this health goal I think if we do it this way it would help you out more one of the things I loved about the video that you did with your parents, and they both, by the way, had extraordinary weight loss. Yeah. Congratulations to, to them and to you for helping them through that. And your dad kept saying, like, if you're trying to help somebody, stop criticizing their food. Stop Ooh. criticizing their food. Here I am, Captain Mindset, struggling with the same thing with my mom. And it's mm. like, for her, I know she hears a similar level of criticism, especially when we talk about food. And I'm trying to, you yeah. know, help her. And, and my thing is, like, how you end up helping them to want it. I thought it was pretty interesting that I think a similar thing is driving because my mom now is really striving for real change. And I think it, it came from something similar, certainly with your dad, I don't know your mom's story as well, but just coming from a place of being in such physical pain yeah, that it's like, all right. You have to do something, like mm -hmm. something has to change, absolutely. You know, and, and unfortunately that's gonna be the majority of people, we wait until the house is, you know, is like on fire until we call the fire department. One thing, too, that I tell my parents, um, you know, when we were getting started was it's time for us to make new memories with food because food brings us together. It's a beautiful thing. So we had the memory of the sweet potato pie. You know, we had the memory of the, you know, of the Sunday pot roast. Those things can still happen, but let's make a new memory with food and feel better about the food that we're putting into our bodies. And, and at their age, I told them, listen, there is not going to be another pie that's going to blow your side. You have tasted everything it's not going to get better and what you are associating though oftentimes with that food is the experience being with family mm. because a pie by yourself tastes different than that same pie with people That's so why don't we really make new memories with healthier food mm. just just being together will make that salad much better i i guarantee it's your experience. It's a really powerful point. When did the struggle with depression start? I have struggled with depression my entire life. Really, even when you were a young yeah. kid? Yeah, my parents, I, I, I grew up in a really like, religious household, and this is not to criticize, or, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. We, we were taught, well, just go up there and, and pray it away. Um, and just interesting uh, sidebar, I did this DNA test last year and it was just for like diet and stuff, but they also do like mm -hmm. mental stuff and all that. And it's just spit. And they, and they come back and they show you what you're in the red for. And I was in the red for like three things. One of them was anxiety and depression. Interesting. And when I read that, I got really emotional. Like really, I called my dad and I said, I knew, I knew that I wasn't crazy. I knew that something was wrong. And I, I say that because I wonder what my life would look like. I'm proud of my life today, but I wonder what my life would look like had I been able to get treatment and get help in those coping mechanisms earlier on. Um, I, don't, I don't lament the fact that I grew up the way that I did, but I just wonder, and I tell parents now um, to do tests like that because it is important. Sometimes we, we lack the, the verbal skills to be able to, to like articulate to you how we're feeling or why something is feeling you know a certain way or, or why we're off but sometimes a test can say it better and what happened was when, when I went off to college I was able to really soar and I was really active and involved do that and it wasn't until I got to grad school uh, and it was really significant because the grad school was like a perfect storm for everything one, I'm in Boston. It gets dark at four o'clock. 
I didn't know that. And I didn't know that that would trigger a lot of my depression too. Mm. Then, because it's so cold and people like to go out and drink, I just started to, to drink a whole lot. Um, coupled with that, I was in a relationship, bad, bad breakup, kind of embarrassing for me in a small community. Um, so that was that. Then, you know, like you layer in the job thing and losing your job and having to go back home. Mm. I'm going back home at ground zero. Literally, I mean ground zero without anything in me. Um, so, it, so it was very, very hard. Now, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit, but based on your actions, this must be true. You have some belief that you can learn things, that you can get better. Um, I know that with nutrition, you started reading, you go to the half price yeah. bookstore, you buy all this stuff. Have you eaten to combat the depression? Because that's one thing a lot of the people that watch Impact Theory, Health Theory, struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm sure that's because I have struggled with anxiety so yeah. profoundly. So you, you sort of collect that. Um, what are some diet tips that people can use? Like if they're in that space, if they're struggling with that, whether it's chronic or um, situational, what can they do dietarily to begin to alleviate that? Yeah, and that's going to vary from, from person to person. For me, I can tell you that Having a lot of healthy fats for me helps out a whole bunch. Um, and break down what healthy fats are. Yeah, so I would, so the type of that I'm talking about would be like salmon, I, um, you know, the omega-3 fatty acids, um, walnuts, avocados. I don't follow like a, you know, like a depression diet. Um, so what I have found though that works for me is actually meal prepping and it's not about, it's less about the actual foods and much more about the process. And I know it sounds kind of strange, but I really do think that there is a synergy or something that happens when you get into the kitchen and you make something for yourself, mm. whenever you do something for you. Um, and I say that because I was at that point where I had to give myself three things to do each day. Just Kevin, if you could get these three, you know, these just just two of them done, great job. So, one of those things could be cooking for myself, making myself breakfast. And this when, was to climb back out of the depression. Yes. So doing things, so cooking, actually, and prepping like your meals can actually help you out because you derive um, some type of serotonin like kick from that because you're like, okay, I did something for me and you're doing like self-care as well. That's really so, interesting. I've never yeah. heard anybody talk about that with cooking. So I know right now somebody's skeptical. They've cooked for themselves before. They think you're full of shit. This doesn't make yeah. any sense to them, but I actually think you're right. What is it, what can you liken it to? Is it like working out? Is it a similar like self-care kind of thing? Absolutely, it, it's all self-care. It's about doing something for you in order you know, like, to make you feel better. So it's like working out once you go ahead and do it Maybe like you're, you know, like you're kind of loathing it, but once you see that finished product, you're like, oh, that was actually pretty dope. I did that. So for me, I started out just, just making my lunch, and I prepped my lunch for about three to five days, and it's like, Kev, you're, you're doing, the, you're doing a good job because I could see I'm, I'm, I'm like saving money, I have my like routine, so I'm not being thrown off by something, which. I love to be spontaneous, but when you're kind of low on serotonin, you don't, you know, that's, that's not the most thing that you want. You don't want life to kind of happen to you. So as much as possible, meal prep helped me to keep that normalcy, mm -hmm. to keep something that was just like even kill. 
What do you think? So going into the cooking, if I had somebody, now that you've sort of put this on my radar, if I had somebody, they're struggling with depression or just like not feeling great about themselves yeah. and I was going to prescribe to them, hey, start cooking, start doing something for yourself. What do you think is the importance of the frame going into that? Like, don't think about this as a chore. Yeah. Think of this as an opportunity. Think about this as your like one-on-one -on -one, like, yoga time. Seriously. When I first started out, I would put on some like workout music in the kitchen and turn the kitchen into like a gym. And I'd be like fist pumping and doing <laughs> stuff. And that would make this a fun thing. And it was just my time. For other people, you may want to put on some like chill like yoga music. But this is your one-on-one -on -one time. So think of it like that. Mm. So I've been doing a cold shower challenge. So oh, I, yeah, yeah. dude, when I say I'm phobic of the cold, like <laughs> truly, truly almost bordering on phobia. So there's something about the cold that triggers my anxiety. It feels like it gives me the same ungrounded feeling is the best way to explain it. I feel jittery and like yeah. I'm not grounded. I don't know a better way to say it. And being cold gives me that same feeling. So I didn't want to do it. Had Wim Hof on the show. And yeah. he was like, dude, you have to do it. It's the thing that's going to tie you into your central nervous system. You're going to be able to like activate your immune system. So I was like hype on that, right? Because yeah. I hate being sick. So I'm like, I really got to try this fucking thing. So I start <laughs> taking cold showers. And in the first probably 10 days, I was like, I got this motherfucker. Mm -hmm. And then like it started to... Plateau a little bit? Yeah, like, and I started to be like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Like I'm really dreading getting in the cold water. And then I was like, hold on a second. I need to get my, I need to remember why I'm doing this. There you go. I need to get my mind right. I need to make this a thing. I put on some fucking music and I got in there and I was like, I'm going to dance in this fucking cold shower. Yeah. I'm going to own this cold shower. And it changed everything like that. Yeah. I like the way you said that. You have to remind yourself of why you're doing something. I liken it to, you know when you had that, that like bad breakup and you're thinking about her like, oh, I wonder what she's doing there. Oh, I gotta miss her time together and you have to be like, wait. This didn't work out for this reason. You have to remind yourself that mm -hmm. way you won't go back to those poor choices again. The same thing with what you're doing. You're not gonna like what you're doing every single time you do it. I don't care what you do. You're not gonna like it every single time. It's, there, you will have that time where you're gonna plateau a little bit and that's when you have to, again, go back to, hey, this is helping me because X, Y, Z. And it flips the switch again so you can begin to be in that moment. So it's so important that you said that. Mm. What do you think about embodying things, like really finding a way? Do you, it, like if you're not feeling it that day, whatever, or even yeah. before you film a video, I wonder if you do this, do you start like moving differently in a way just to sort of get your body feeling it? Yeah, you gotta get pumped up. So one thing I try to do is like put on music. Um, whenever I do anything to, I'll just take a moment and kind of visualize how I want the end product to look like. Everyone has their pregame mood. If you watch any athlete, everybody does this. They put on their headphones, they're visualizing, they're doing this. Some people are doing stretching and yoga, whatever. But everybody has their thing that they have to do in order to get ready. And I know it's something as simple as cooking, but if you approach, that's why I turned my kitchen into that gym. I wanted to bring that atmosphere and that like intensity and that focus into what I was doing in the kitchen because I found out that it was so important for me to feel better um, about me, to lose weight, to get closer to those fitness goals and it was gonna start in the kitchen. So I'm gonna bring all that intensity, all that focus right here, right now. So everybody does that. So cooking should be no different. We just don't do it that way. One thing that I love about your approach, your methodology, your, your um, 
messaging is that you want people to one experiment, two eat a wide variety of mm -hmm. things, three really enjoy the things you're eating, four not like completely just cut you know entire groups of foods out. So give <laughs> some people some do's and don'ts. As somebody who I would say has as a a really sort of thrilling breadth of things that you found a way to incorporate in a healthy way, give people those like that short list of do this, don't do that. Um, so do this would be start small. Don't try to boil the ocean at once. Meaning don't try to overhaul your diet overnight. Just, I, I, um, I love having the rule of one. Pick one thing about your diet that you wanna change. So if you drink too many sodas, let's say that you wanna go down to maybe three sodas each week. That's your thing that you're gonna work on for your diet. If, you, if you're spending too much money and you're trying to save money, you wanna eat, um, you know, eat better, then prep one meal you know, for yourself. Do that, just that one thing, and do that very well. And what you'll see is that when you commit to that one thing and you could do it, then you're energized to do something else. And so little by little by little, you're going to transform your diet. The second thing that I would say don't do is um, don't eat for fuel and not for taste. <laughs> a lot of people get into this mentality like, I don't really care what food tastes like, I'm just going to eat like this. Yeah, that works in the first, you know, 10, 15 days. But just like you said, you're going to reach that point where that cold shower is just kind of like, ugh. Mm. And when you set, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure and food should be and can be enjoyed. So you want to make sure that you're doing something that you actually enjoy. Um, and eating should be one of those things that I think that everybody um, should enjoy. Um, another one I would say is not taking a break. So take a break from every now and then and eat something different. So for me, for instance, I would prep my lunch every single day. And then on Fridays, I would reserve that time to go out with coworkers. Mm. But even then, I would eat something that was calorie conscious. But it, what it did was it gave me a break from cooking, but it also gave my taste buds a break. And I could taste something different. It was still healthier, you know, or, or like calorie conscious, but it was something different. And eating out sometimes, even if you have a, um, a like treat meal, it's a good thing because the treat meals can give you ideas for ways that you could infuse other flavors and other textures into your diet. So don't discount those things as well. And if you plan to have a treat meal, not a treat day, um, those things are good and they aren't considered a cheat because they are part of your balanced meal. I mean, they're a part of your balanced plan. And are there any foods specifically that you tell people to avoid? The processed foods, you know, you, you honestly don't know what science that they're actually using in order to flavor it. Um, also, I think they could be really, really like addicting. And we can get kind of hooked on that. And I think that that's a combination of science and also convenience. And what I found like over the long haul is that you don't know how to cook for yourself. You don't know the right portions. You don't know the right foods. And so when it, you will have to come to a point, like everybody has to go through this. You have to learn certain things. And one of those things is you have to learn how to feed yourself, especially if you have goals in mind, wellness goals rather. Um, I would also even say, you know, it could be like on a bars as well. A lot of people pr um, prioritize those over real food. We, I, I think that we've done a little bit of a disservice in the health and wellness community by telling people how much they should have of certain things. And so 
we've been taught this the protein this you gotta have uh, 300 grams of protein a day or else your mother's eating uh, mother <laughs> or else like your muscles gonna you know wither away that's not true you know and so I, I think that oftentimes showing people that you can get protein even from plants is something so one thing I always prioritize is just to eat real food like whenever possible. Those bars are good. Those are supplements to your diet, but not to replace mm -hmm. a healthy, balanced diet. And, and so I, I think that's just the over like, reliance on those instead of getting into the kitchen and, just, you know, and making yourself something. Yeah, at Quest, we used to, like, if you called customer support and said, and look, we made bars, but if you said, look, I really want to get in shape, I want to be healthy, what should mm -hmm. I eat? Our answer was chicken breast and broccoli. <laughs> Not because we were incentivized to say it, obviously we weren't, but because we wanted people to know bars have their place, it's convenient, it's tasty, but eat whole food whenever humanly possible Correct. Um, is always just really good advice. Now, one thing with diets that you've talked about, and I think this is pretty interesting, and I've seen you do the challenges. I saw your keto challenge. You've got your parents on yeah. a vegan diet, but you're not eating vegan. Yeah. Um, talk to me about individuality and nutrition. Talk about how people can explore for themselves. Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, I think it's a great thing. You know, I, um, I, I did the keto diet about a year and a half ago, and I did it just to try it out to see, to become like a more competent in that had great success. I don't think it's for me, like for the long haul. I said so in that video. Um, it just didn't work for me in my lifestyle. But what I think what people should be doing whenever they try out these different diets is it's not just about trying it out to see if you're going to like to lose the weight or not, but it's trying it out to see how you can take certain tenets of the certain diets, of your different diets, back to your normal diet. So for me, one thing I'd always struggle with is just sweets. But what I learned from the keto diet, which is really interesting, is that I didn't crave those. I was like, this is really weird because I'm not eating carbs. It's the fats. Mm. So one thing that I have done in my normal diet is I, is I prioritize fats a lot more. Same thing whenever I did vegan diet. I was thinking like, you know, these plants are really darn good and I feel better. I'm able to move around, you know, my skin's kind of popping, I feel like. And a lot of people will hear that and say, well, why not just go vegan? Well, first off, I miss chicken. <laughs> I miss bacon. I miss a whole lot of other things. Um, but I don't think it's necessary. So what I learned from, from doing that was I need to become a lot more plant dominant in my diet. How could I make plants the star of my dish and then complement it with some protein if I wanted to? Mm. That was my big takeaway. So I've become a lot more plant dominant I call it, within my own diet, because I could still tear up a burger, <laughs> but there's a big salad on top of the burger. <laughs> and so. do you have um, advice for people on how to experiment? Like, do you use any tracking devices or a journal or, I mean, your app is obviously extraordinary for meal prep and stuff. Do you have other yeah. things that you recommend? Yeah, well, for, for, for anything, I always tell people to journal. So I always tell people just to write down how they're working out, how they're feeling and what they're eating. So whenever I'm doing something, I will always just write, write down like this new thing. And it came from this experience I had um, back in 2013 when I had fallen out of love with fitness. And my buddy comes to me and he's bragging. He's like, yeah, I got these abs now, yeah, I got this PR, I'm the bench press, I'm doing all this. And I said, well, great, well, enjoy it because it won't last long. <laughs> And I was like, dang, kid, that was so cynical. And I had to explain to him. I was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it right now. But it came from a place, though, of realizing that how you, 
how you feel right now may not be how you feel tomorrow mm. or in one year. And everyone kind of finds that we all like arrive at that place. We don't know what happened, but we're sitting around thinking like, I don't want to do this anymore. And what, and what do we do when that happens? You start grasping for straws, just trying a little bit of everything. Let me just try this. Let me just try this. If we have our journals, we can go back to read what we were doing to find that place of inspiration. That's what I call breadcrumbs. Mm. Go, tr following those breadcrumbs back to that place where you first fell in love with the process. Yeah, I think one thing that's important that I've heard you talk about is how we define success. Mm. Um, I know in your mom's weight loss journey, she hit a point where she had plateaued, mm. wasn't losing the weight, but she wasn't noticing some really big wins. Talk to people about how they should um, think about, especially on a weight loss journey, how they should think about success. Yeah, it's going to vary from person to person, but I think for, from, you know, from weight loss perspective, you should definitely throw out the scale. I know you probably heard that before, but it's really important. It's kind of like not watching numbers in, in social media, doing the same thing. Both things can kind of make you kind of manic, <laughs> and, and you start to think about them way too much and put so much emphasis on this number that we discount the other things that are happening. You may discount the fact that your followers are actually engaging with you mm. a lot more and they have great stories, but you're missing all that because I lost a follower today. Who cares? Someone just said that you changed their life in the comment section and you're worried that somebody unfollowed you? Same thing like with diet. Who cares the fact that you know the weight is the same? You just put on that shirt and it fits completely different now. You are wearing those jeans differently. I mean, your face is clearing up. So we discount things that actually should matter. So it's really important to get perspective within your health and wellness journey. First off, define what that is, but don't, look, don't be so quick to look at some of the qualitative measures of success. It's because it's so much more than that. Mm. Um, the cool thing that I've seen about healthy living and healthy eating is the synergistic effect of how you can do other things or how you're empowered to do other stuff, right? So it's like that person who, because they've been eating healthier now, they feel that they can go and start up their own company. And it's weird because those two are not related, mm -hmm. but they really are because it's the same core competencies. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, especially that one in terms of its impact on your um, clarity. So. Um, I play video games, which I've talked endlessly about on <laughs> my podcast, and um, my wife and I were playing this weekend, and I, I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor right now, which is absolutely fascinating. I mean, okay. beyond fascinating. So <laughs> I like to see, I, I think you're right, qualitative is far more important than quantitative, and, and what you had said about your mom, like she, the scale was holding the same, but she was like, oh, but one cool thing, I was able to bend down this morning without any pain for the first time in you know 20 years or whatever. And you were like, uh, how about we focus on that? Yeah. Which I think is, is really extraordinary. So I'm wearing this continuous glucose monitor and we're trying all this different stuff, yeah. like what spikes me, what doesn't. Part of the fun for me of like healthy living and healthy eating and all that is, is that individual variability of seeing like what works it's and what game. doesn't. And I can see, I can lower my blood sugar, but I, there's still some weird effect on my cognition. So I'm like, oh, this shit adds up. Like you really have to yeah. see like what freaks you out, may not freak the next person out, but really beginning to get systematic 
writing it down in the journal. And then one thing that I'd love to hear you talk about is goal setting. Yeah. Like going into a goal. Talk to people about that. I think this is pretty interesting. Yeah, goal setting is really important. It helps to focus your efforts. Um, whenever you, it's, it, it goes back to that point of you having to like remind yourself of why you're doing something. Set goals that you can actually measure. A lot of people are going to set a goal like, all right, I'm going to eat better this year. <laughs> that's not a real, that's not a good goal. And it's not a good one because that's, a, that's an aspiration. So, I, you know, for me, I started out, my first goal was to do this mini triathlon sprint. Um, to get my weight down and get my physical capabilities up enough for that. And did you say, and I will do a mini triathlon sprint by I, this day? By this day, I actually found the race and signed up for it um, to do. So that was my first thing that I wanted to go ahead and do. And it helped to remind me of what I was doing. And then those times where I felt tempted to cheat, that goal reminded me that I need to stay on track. So it's really important that you not only set something that you can measure, but if there's a way to, to remind yourself of your goals, it's, it's much more important. Um, I do that in a couple ways. I'll put it up around the house. But one thing that I've gotten into, and this came from my bout with depression that's helped out so much, is to affirm myself daily. So there are a couple things that I read out loud that I posted up in my closet. Um, about what I want my life to look like and feel like, what I want my business to look like and feel like, how I want to treat other people. And I say those things to myself um, in the morning time. And it was really awkward at first because I'm like, why am I talking to myself in this mirror looking like super weird, right? But the more I said the stuff, the more it became real for me. And at even some points it would become like really like emotional because oftentimes we don't talk to ourselves enough. It's like someone giving us a hug and we're like, thank you, I needed a hug today. Didn't even realize that, right? Mm. That's the way that we are when we don't talk to ourselves. And so for the first time, I was talking to myself and saying, Kevin, you have, have what it takes. And I'm hearing myself say that about me and looking myself in the eye. So there was a lot of power in that. Um, so that doing that stuff also aligns with my goals because I will say out, I will be doing this, I'm going to do this, and I'm declaring it out loud so that way it becomes real. So it's those things that maybe you may not feel comfortable sharing out loud, but you, know, but you need to go ahead and say. Um, whenever I had that like bad breakup and stuff, I was really, I really want a family and I really still want that. And I'd become so obsessed with that. Uh, it made me like unhappy, so I stopped thinking about it and put it in the back. And one thing my therapist was talking about with me is that you know she kind of helped me to go and see that that's still something that you that you can have. Because I convinced myself that I you know, that I couldn't. I remember the first time I got into the mirror and I said, "You will, you are loved, Kevin, and you will find love, and you will have an amazing family." And just that, like, it choked me up to say. So, and that told me what that was doing, it was chiseling away at the wall that I had put up around my heart to not let people in. Like I had to remind myself that you need to be open. So again, it's, it's much deeper than just having the avocado every day. <laughs> it's the mental health too, because when all else fails, you, you've got to be mentally tough for this. Have you ever heard of the book or the movie Like Water for Chocolate? I have, I've never seen it though. Oh, Kevin, talking to you, uh, there's so much soulfulness to you. 
And like, I keep, so thinking of this as like an interview and I need to add value and, mm. and make sure that I set you up to give people the information that like, you're just so prepared to give. And I'm seeing this whole well of like other stuff, deeper stuff about how like the, the, the preparation to make your food as like self-care and the process of building yourself up is so interesting and so powerful. And like Water for Chocolate is all about this woman who basically um, emotes into her food and the food becomes therapy and mm. she's able to pass it on to other people and knowing that you come from a Southern tradition and that it's like bonding. There's so much more yeah. to what you do with food. Like it's not surprising, at least after this conversation, how you've ended up where you've ended up, why your following is so big um, mm. and why you continue to do this and thrive. I think that there's, it's you're like actually making me rethink about my own relationship to especially the, the process of food creation. I've never mm. wanted to use that word before, but that's good. I feel that right now. Uh, that's really fucking interesting. Do you have that kind of relationship? Like, are there times where you're like, this mood makes me want to make this food, not even so much eat this food, but like make this type of food, either with this type of preparation or smells or whatever? Uh, I get inspired in like different ways. Yeah, there's not necessarily like a, like a smell or something that happens or like a mood. I just want to get into the kitchen and start cooking some things and I just start going and going and going. Um, you know, one thing that this artist said, uh, she says, you never turn off that, that voice in your head that says be creative or something. So basically, you know, she was saying that even if, you know, it strikes at like 2 a.m., get up and do it. So I have the habit too of getting up at 2 and 3 a.m. if I feel something wow. and going and making a recipe just because I, I just want to be in that moment because I just feel so connected to it. Um, kind of tapped into your creativity and for for me it's cooking for you it could be something else but but whatever drives you whatever keeps you up at night don't don't turn that off don't, don't turn that off mm. talk to me about what's the role of sugar how do you think people mm. should think about it how much in your diet you talk a lot about flipping foods yeah and i'm curious how much of like and i assume by flipping you mean take something that's delicious but not good for me and make it still delicious and good for me how much of that is the removal of sugar yeah you know and i think that when people talk about that i, th I think they're talking about the process of refined sugar in products i think that's the part that we need to be most aware of because sugar in itself is not a bad thing sugar is in almost everything we eat like naturally um, but it's the way that, that sugar has been brought to market that is, is really problematic. Healthy food is a, is, is a big business. Mm. And back in the day, they found out in the early 2000s that companies found out that, whoa, this whole like TV dinner era is maybe over. And because of people like Oprah going on TV and talking about things, like people are like, yo, I have got to eat healthier. So what happened was you had this massive proliferation of all these different healthy food products. You gotta have zero fat this and low fat that. And what people were doing is that science, we were, you know, we were able to use science to kind of tweak us, tweak our diets in order to meet this calorie goal. But at the same time, we were putting in things like sugar in order to replace flavor. So, I, I, so it's, it's, I'm not talking about the sugar that you would get from eating fruits and vegetables. We're talking about the sugar, or even maybe even honey and like agave. I'm talking about the hidden sugars that are in food that, you know, that can be pretty you know, problematic. 
That makes sense. Um, do you think there's any such thing as a universal diet? Yes and no. So, yes in the sense that there are diets that I think, there is a diet that I think could work for everybody. Oh, that's us I, I genuinely think so. Break it down. Um, when I, I actually spent some time in Tel Aviv um, on this food tour, and it was right after I, I did keto. And what was amazing about this is that I felt incredible when I was there. I was eating a lot of foods, and then it dawned on me after day 10 or so that I had only eaten meat about twice you know, the entire trip. And I was eating tons of variety of different foods and flavors and textures, um, mostly plants. So I was doing the Mediterranean diet. And the reason why I like it is it's, a, it's, it's, it's way more balanced. I think it's the way that a diet should actually look, look like. I think there is a place for everything, even animals and animal meat in there. But, we, but at the star of all the meals are just plants. Like we are enjoying nature and the fullness of it in a way that we haven't before. And I say that's universal too because the Mediterranean diet is based off of a lifestyle of people in that region who have you know, this similar approach to eating, even alcohol. So I think that it can be sustainable. I think that we're just taking like a way of life and saying, hey, this is a healthy way to go ahead and live. So yes, it can apply to everybody. Now, no in the sense that since all of our bodies are unique, there can't be a universal diet. Some people don't process carbs very well, they don't process sugars very well, some people can't process fats, and so what way work for you is not gonna work for somebody else technically. Mm -hmm. well, that makes all the sense in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so given that, there are some people right now listening, I promise, who are like, yeah, no. I'm not doing something where it's plant dominant as it's horrifying. Yeah. What recipe from your book mm. would you recommend for that person to try knowing that they're gonna like this? Like I always tell people, everybody likes sushi. Some people just haven't found the type yeah. of sushi that they like. So everybody likes plants, but some people haven't had what recipe from your book? You know what? I would say to try the abundance bowl with sweet potatoes and, and chickpeas. It's a really hearty take on a salad. Um, it's got braised kale, it's got roasted sweet potatoes, some fiery chickpeas, and then a really cool um, green sauce. And I think what I like about this is like it's a whole lot of texture, it's a whole lot of color and tons of flavor into one thing. And it's so hearty that when you eat it, you, you don't really realize that meat is not in it mm. because there's so many different elements in, um, like involved. And I think even if you wanted to add in chicken, like you could to that recipe, but it's not needed. So that's what I want to go ahead and, and prove to people too, that sometimes, yeah, like you go ahead. If you want to add in a steak to that thing, go ahead and do it. That, this is your diet. It's not needed though. Mm. I think meat, meat can provide a lot of benefits. Um, and, and, and I think that our bodies are actually, you know, are, physiologically made to eat meat, but I do not think we have enough balance. That's been the primary thing, and that's due to the business of health, the way that we've been talking about it for so long. Love it. All right, man, before I ask my last mm -hmm. question, tell these guys where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me at FitmenCook anywhere, on Instagram, on Facebook, YouTube, and also FitmenCook.com. 
Nice. Love it. Thank you. My last question. Okay. What's the one change that people could make to their diet that would have the biggest impact on their health? Or it doesn't even have to be diet, just the one change that they could make. Do the one change that they could make? Uh, okay, here's a really easy thing that everyone can do. Drink more water or non-sugary liquids. I think that was, whenever I'm feeling not so fresh and kind of bloated, I'm not having a really good movement and stuff, it's, I can always, almost always assure you that I have not had enough water. And every single time it has helped me out with my weight loss journey. It's, uh, it's readily available, you can get it. <laughs> but in terms of just making me feel fresh, it lubricates the joints, I think that is one of the best things and that's one thing that we can all do, just drink more water. Love it. Nice mm. and simple. Thank you and so thank much. Thank you so much for being on the show, Appreciate man. That was you, extraordinary. Man. You too. Guys, <laughs> trust me when I say you're going to benefit tremendously if you start just eating some of this man's food. It's wow. incredible. It's delicious. And you will begin to reap the dramatic health benefits of removing a lot of the processed food out of your life, eating whole food whenever you can. He's walked people through how to do it on a budget. He's walked people through how to take something that they love and just can't imagine giving up, like his famous banana split. And all of this <laughs> stuff, how to do in a healthy way. There are so many extraordinary recipes on his YouTube channel, on his Instagram, and in his book. You can't go wrong with any of them. He's got an extraordinary app that will let you meal prep, so whatever it is that you want, I think that he's got an extraordinary beat on it. And hopefully you picked up in this interview, there's just something about the way that he approaches it that brings a whole new level of meaning to soul food. So check it out. Dive into his world. You will be richly rewarded. All right. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.